Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the episodic audiobook series of Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel, where we are covering two chapters per episode uh, compared to one chapter, which we did in Seed Me. That's just the chapters are shorter than usual in Fire, Pain, and Ruin, because writing styles change and you got to follow the pace of the book. Now, if you haven't listened to any of these, I would recommend going back to episode one, where we start with chapter one. For those that have been tuning in weekly, last week in episode seven, we covered chapters 13 and 14. And those were interesting chapters because in chapter 13, Knox and Spaulding had a talk and they were going to enter a new business venture, which uh, was running a funeral home. They wanted to actually um, serve dual purposes. Spaulding needed a change because like the butcher shop wasn't really doing that much and uh, they needed some extra money. And then Knox needs some bodies. So it brings them closer to death than Spaulding wanted, but um, Spaulding was glad that uh, Knox is being a good business partner and bringing him in the loop and then they could uh, um, yeah further strengthen their bond, which was lacking. And then in chapter 14, we had the girls, Louise and Lisa, go into town with their mother, Penny. And Penny had a bunch of stuff to do in town, so she was going to drop off the girls with the midwives. And uh, they figured that mom had a fight with, or they saw the fight with mom and dad, and they knew things were tense, but what could they really do? And uh, they ran into Mr. Connors, who mom set up a dinner date, and Mr. Connors happened to be a little weird with Louise. It made Louise uncomfortable, but sort of. She wasn't sure. It confused her, and uh, it wasn't a way an adult should act around a teen. And the midwife saw it. They didn't say anything. And that is where we left off. So lots is going on at Rutherford Manor, and uh, let's jump into it to see what happens in the following chapter. Chapter 15 Forest Wanders. Here, take the girls, Mom said abruptly. I have to stop here, visit the jeweler to look at a pendant, the tailors, the leather worker, and see if I can find anyone who sells a bigger basket. Then there's... Louise stopped paying attention. Mom was off on another ramble. She had a habit of doing that when she was stressed out. Apparently, there was a lot of critical things that had to be taken care of for Rutherford Manor. It wasn't like the house was burning down, Louise thought. Father seemed generally relaxed. Great Aunt Lilith did what she wanted in the greenhouse. Great Uncle Billy was doing whatever he wanted. The same with Great Uncle Knox. Then, there was Mom, seeming more stressed than normal. Now, now, Rachel said while waving her hands at Mom. We'll watch the girls. You don't need to worry. Take your time. Elise smiled. We love having your daughters with us. They bring such joy. Mischievous ones, too. Rowan said, winking at Louise. Louise smiled. She knew that Rowan was right. Louise was the troublemaker of the two. Anytime Lisa tried to cause trouble, she failed miserably. Her little let's play tag stunt was a great example. Louise was just better at it. 
Lisa seemed more concerned with her feelings, like being obsessed with that Wainwright boy. Mom sighed. Thank you. We're having dinner with the Connors family next week. I just want to make sure that we're presentable. You're always presentable, Rowan said. The savages are a splendid lineage. You simply being you is enough. Mom smiled. Thank you for your kind words. We can do better, though. She leaned down and gave Lisa a kiss on the forehead. Don't go running off, okay? I said I was sorry, Lisa said. Mom patted Lisa's cheek and then scooted over to Louise. Take care of your sister. Louise nodded. Mom leaned over and gave Louise a kiss on the forehead too. I'll be back soon. We'll be in town, Rachel said. With that, Mom was off. She had important errands to do, apparently. She took one last glance at the butcher shop, pausing, then went into the grocery store. Now the twins could enjoy their time in town and not feel stressed about everything. The midwives were so much more entertaining than mom. Your mother is sure worked up today, isn't she? Rochelle asked the girls. She's extra intense this week, Lisa said. Yeah, Louise said. She's trying to tell us that presentation is very important. That's what a man wants. The three midwives laughed hysterically. It wasn't that funny. Each of the ladies came down from their laugh with a sigh. Elise wiped away a tear that Louise could see. Sweetie, Rowan said. You don't have to present yourself to impress a man. Elise raised her index finger. Those are just traditions. Traditions set by religious standards, Rochelle said. Indeed, Rowan said. If you want to be your own woman, you have the right to do so. No one can tell you otherwise. Rochelle waved her hand at the other two midwives. Why, just look at us. Clearly, Elise said. We do what we choose to. What about your husbands? Lisa asked. Louise shrugged. They don't have any. Right, Lisa said. Were any of you ever married? Some of us, Rachel said. Yes, times change. Some of you, Louise asked. Which ones? She looked over at Lisa, who nodded in confirmation. They wanted a full answer. No adult club. Well, if you must know, Rachel said, I had a husband. He left me for some young thing. No offense. After that, I never married again. What is the point? They'll always gawk over some other gal that struts along. Because of that, I started to learn what self-empowerment means. There's so much more we women can offer beyond being a house cleaner for the man. I concur, Rowan said. Now that we are getting personal, I'll have you know I never married. What? Louise asked. Never? Lisa asked. Never, Rowan said. Rochelle walked from under the shade of the store's canopy. She extended her hand toward the road. How about we go for a stroll? Rowan nodded. That is a great idea. Elise waved at the girls. Come now, she said. We're going on an adventure. Adventure? Louise asked, perking up. Where? Oh, you will see, Rowan said. The two girls followed the midwives through the town of Rowley, weaving in and out of the other pedestrians on the street. The women moved with such grace as a single unit, causing people to move out of their way. The presence they had in the crowd was mesmerizing. Everyone was aware of them. They walked their own path. 
That was a lot more than could be said for the rest of the townspeople. Louise was impressed. Maybe there was something to what these women had to say. Maybe a woman didn't have to be a presentation maker. The midwives led the group out of town toward the nearby forest. The path was uneven and less traveled down here. It wasn't quite wide enough for a wagon, and it continued to narrow. The forest grew more alive the deeper in they went. The foliage thickened. Birds chirped. Squirrels ran about. The smells. The colors. Wonders. Much like the midwives in their strange attire, Louise glanced at their jewelry. What's with all the trinkets? Lisa asked. That was Louise's sister, always having the same thoughts as her. Even though they had their differences, they always had the same agenda. Louise wanted to know what those strange trinkets were about too. This one? Rachel asked, holding up one of the three necklaces that draped around her neck. It was a metal circle etched with the drawing of a fire. All of them, Louise said. Well, we have unconventional methods, Rowan said. Most of the people in this area aren't quite comfortable with what we do. They're not, Elise added. They follow the church. Our ways aren't welcomed there. Lilith does different things too, Louise said. Yeah, Lisa agreed. That's right, Rachel said. We adore Lilith's practices. She's a brilliant woman. She doesn't go to the church, Louise said. Lilith walks her own path, Rowan said. I'm not exactly a fan of church, Louise admitted. Boy, did that ever feel good to say, she thought. Louise had never expressed her dislike of church to anyone other than Lisa. She felt a weight start to lift off her chest. It's boring, dry, uneventful, she said. That summed it up. The weight disappeared. Rowan laughed. I would have to concur. The other midwives nodded in agreement as the five females wandered through the forest. The midwives examined the forest plants as they walked by, feeling the leaves and branches. Their openness to the outdoors encouraged the girls to engage with nature too. Louise was the first. She grabbed a pebble, inspecting it, and chucked it aside. Then she ran her hand along a branch, feeling the grooves and elements that made up the tree. Lisa also explored her own avenues of the forest with leaves and rocks. They were playing around without anyone watching over their shoulders. Correction, they were explorers. There is a lot to be said for nature, Rowan said. This is why we don't live in town. Rachel nodded. It's too busy there. You can have a lot of introspective thoughts in silence. What's introspective? Louise asked. It's about looking inside yourself, listening to what you have to say. Like talking to yourself? Lisa asked. In a way, there are many thoughts that run through each person's mind. When you come to the forest, you have the chance to reflect on you. It is like looking in the mirror. You see who you really are, Rachel said. And who is that? Lisa asked. Fire, Rachel said. When I am in the forest, I sense heat and flames. I'm drawn to it all the time. It frightens the forest. The forest respects it. Fire is a form of energy, power. They experience pain, Elise said. This is the natural cycle of life. I can sense suffering when I am alone. 
I, for one, am drawn to ruin, Rowan said. Everything collapses in the end. Plants die. Forests catch fire. Civilizations burn. Louise and Lisa listened in wonder. Silencing yourself lets you hear what calls to you, Rowan said. You become truer to your walk of life. By looking into yourself, you can view the world for what it is. Louise and Lisa exchanged glances. Both were equally as confused. The midwives were talking about some babbling bull, just like Father Haywood did. Not quite as intolerable. It was different. It was self-empowerment. Rowan extended her hand to a woodpecker that sat on a branch. Here, in the forest, you are simply part of the ecosystem. You can see nature take its course. There are no weekly gatherings. There's no currency. There's only your intuition. This is what we follow. This is what we practice. Elise reached into her pocket, pulling out a small leather pouch. When you look inside yourself, you become more aware of your strengths and your weaknesses. She scooped her hand into the pouch and pulled out a fistful of mystery. When you're in the forest and have a moment of silence, Rochelle spoke up. Then when everything is still, you see what is beyond the naked eye, Rowan finished. Elise spread her hands into the air, throwing a dozen birds into the forest. They came from nothing. Or were they in her hand? It was impossible to tell. The girls were flabbergasted. The small gray and brown birds fluttered around, soaring through the air and flapping towards the trees. Some landed near a sleeping owl, which shook its feathers at the disturbance. Boy, the girls said in unison. They had never seen anything like that before. What did you do? Lisa asked. Were they in that pouch? Louise asked. The two girls hurried up to the lease, wanting to look at the mysterious leather pouch. Elise opened the pouch to show the girls. Try, please. Remember, girls, Rowan said. Stillness. Introspective, Rochelle added. The twins exchanged looks. They weren't sure what to do. Louise felt a rush of excitement run through her system. They had witnessed something completely abnormal. The forest truly was full of mysteries. The midwives had demonstrated it. What else was here? They had to know. Should I try? Lisa asked. Yeah, Louise said. Yeah, she repeated herself to reassure. Her sister was about to summon birds from thin air. It was too dark inside to see anything. She coiled her fingers and scooped out her own fist of mystery. She looked at her hand, then her sister. Louise nodded, giving her confirmation that it was time to summon the birds. Lisa brought her fist to her chest, and with one mighty lunge, she extended a hand and let go of a fistful of brown powder. It sprinkled into the air, scattering out into various directions before falling onto the ground. Rowan broke into laughter, at least chuckled. Rochelle sighed. Lisa and Louise made eye contact. They were confused. The birds weren't here. And this was supposed to be a place of their own thoughts. Stillness. What happened? Louise asked. I reached into the pouch, Lisa said while looking at the remnants of brown powder on her palm. So innocent, Rowan said. Such purity in your actions. Those are positive signs. You'll grow to be wonderful women. Rochelle sighed. They pulled a prank on you. That was mean, Louise said. 
Yeah, Lisa said. Yes, it was, Rowan said. You can't simply reach into a pouch full of ground-up mushrooms and create birds. That's nonsense. But, Lisa said. No buts, Rachel said. It's true. You need to spend more time searching for yourself. The forest helps. Listen, intuition never lies. You have to discover you, Elise said. It takes time. We've been doing it our whole lives, Rowan said. Then you can perform miracles. She extended her hand to the air, chirping, fluttering wings. One of the small gray and brown birds fluttered onto her index finger. You'll get there, Rowan said, bringing the little bird closer, petting it. Another enchanting miracle. The midwives were just like all the other adults. Secrets. The adult club. Their mysteries were better, though. They had larger-than-life powers. The kind of abilities that church said God had. Yet, the midwives had denounced him. Chapter 16 Longing for the Spark You don't listen to me! Fists. Sweat and cheering. The joys of Fight Club. The thrill of the crowd. The adrenaline that coursed through the body was unmatched. Nothing during the resurrectionist days had come close. There was something eerie about body snatching and killing people that made it unsettling. There was no honor. Not like Fight Club, which had rules. You stayed within the guidelines, and that was all there was to it. Plus, it was good to let go of some pent-up tension. This isn't about us. Get that through your head. Spalding's fist slammed into a man's face, blood splattering. Then another fist, lower gut. His opponent stumbled back, still standing. Spalding dodged the sloppy swing, throwing another in return. This sealed the deal. The man collapsed backward, landing on his ass. He held his fists up at Spalding, panting. Even sitting, he wanted to fight. I don't know why we bother sometimes. You sure? Spalding asked. The man sighed and dropped his fists. He tapped the ground and helped himself up, clenching his cheek as he did. Christ, he muttered. That was a hard blow, you prick. Spalding knew it was a compliment. The man was in pain. Spalding once again was victorious. He rarely lost in Fight Club. Most of the folk who participated weren't as invested as he was. Hobbyists, one could say. In some cases, it made the fight almost too easy. At least there was always the satisfaction of winning. This was his therapy. His one place of reason when everything else had gone south. Spalding shook the man's hand and the two exited the ring. This wasn't even for bets. The crowd was small. It seemed like people didn't have much interest in Fight Club tonight. A little aggressive this time. The familiar high-pitched voice of Jacob reached Spalding's ear. The mustached man had his sleeves rolled up and was covered in sweat. He must have finished just a fight himself. Spalding nodded while buttoning his shirt. Yeah. I had to get some things off my chest. Work troubles? Jacob asked as he wiped his forehead. I wish it were that simple, but it's not, Spalding said while tucking in his shirt. Home life, I take it, Jacob guessed. Spalding nodded. The wife and I are having some disagreements lately. She came to the shop after she dropped off the kids with the midwives and reamed me out. About what? Parenting methods, responsibilities, I don't know. She's been high-strung lately. There hasn't even been time in the sack, Spalding thought. 
he could have blurted it out in front of Jacob. The man wouldn't have cared, but it was wiser not to. Spaulding was still a gentleman, and that was too much info. Sorry to hear, pal, Jacob said. Wish I could give you some advice. Your family walks a different path, with the homeschooling and all. Yeah, Spaulding said. Maybe that has her stressed. The girls are teenagers, but it's her distance that is really bugging me, Spaulding said, restraining from saying anything more. Let's get a drink. The two went to the bar at the back, ordered drinks, paid up, and clinked their glasses together. Spaulding needed the booze, just like he needed that last drink in the previous five. Think she's seeing someone? Jacob asked. Not a chance, Spaulding said. She's at home all the time. Someone at the manor would have told me. What is it then? Teaching the girls can't be that stressful, Jacob asked. Lately, she's just fixated on the smallest things that don't exactly matter. I don't know. She's difficult to read. Distant from touch. Spaulding lost himself in his beer. No intimacy. I hope things get better for you, Jacob said while exhaling deeply. At least we can always go to Fight Club, hey? Yeah, Spaulding said. Say, Jacob said, where's Billy tonight? Can't say I know, Spaulding said. He's been a bit distant lately, too. He might be overworked. Truthfully, Spaulding didn't know. From the way Knox was talking, it sounded like no one knew. The man had never been as short-tempered as he was now. Something else was bothering him, and something was bothering his wife. Somehow, Spaulding would have to pry it out of them later. Tonight was for him and him alone. He sipped on his drink while watching the crowd. Regulars. There were some gals, none of them attractive, along with the fighters and the observers. Some new faces were present, as per usual with Fight Club. It always attracted folk that were curious about the mysterious world of underground fighting. Then, they'd either be spooked away or get themselves beaten up in the ring and wimp out. Spaulding had been going to these for long enough that he could identify the cycles. Summertime always brought in more people. The winter was only for the hardcore folk. Wait a moment, Spaulding tensed. There was one new person of interest, a redhead with braided hair at the other end of the room. No hat, but he knew it was someone he didn't want to see. A man moved. She was now in clear view. She had a long dress, a poncho, and braided hair. It was one of the midwives, thankfully. He breathed a sigh of relief. Still, it was strange to see Rochelle here. The midwives never came to Fight Club. Give me a moment, Spaulding said, leaving the bar and crossing the room to Rochelle. Reaching her, he raised a drink. Rochelle, you've left your sect, he said jokingly. The redhead turned away from the fight she was watching and smiled. Spaulding! Rochelle opened her arms for a hug. The interaction seemed so informal. He accepted it. The two embraced for a moment. She had a pleasant smell, a good smile, easy on the eyes, probably even more pleasant without those clothes on too. She'd be fun, he thought. Quickly, he reprimanded himself. Stop. He couldn't think like that anymore. Maybe it was the drinking talking. Either way, it was nice to get some physical affection, even if it was just a hug. Rochelle broke free from the embrace. The slight smell of liquor was on her breath. Knew you were more of the rough type, but I didn't know you went to Fight Club. I'm rough. You're one to talk, Spaulding smirked. Stop that, he thought. 
just came so naturally to flirt, especially with his current mindset and the liquid courage he'd invited. He felt like a firecracker going off. Drinking and watching men fight, this is a whole new side of Rochelle. Rochelle played with her hair. There's a lot of things you don't know about me. That's dangerous, Spalding thought. Before he could reply, the past returned to haunt him. There, at the staircase, another redhead entered. There seemed to be an absurd number of them orbiting around his life. This one was different though. Her wavy red hair was tucked under a hat, shadowing her eyes. That hat. Her crooked nose could be seen in the light. Iconic. The gray trench coat, white blouse, and vest. Impossible. Spaulding felt his back tingle. Beads of sweat dripped down his body. His heart skipped a beat and his stomach twisted. Spaulding? Rochelle asked. Are you okay? Spaulding shook his head. Yeah, I, I mean, yes. He extended his hand and touched Rochelle's arm. Please, excuse me. Sure, Rochelle said, confused, as Spaulding walked away in a hurry towards the entrance. How could this be? Spaulding wasn't even sure that was her. Unless that had been her outside the butcher shop. Fourteen years. The distinguished clothing and crooked nose were signature looks of Irene Connolly. He had to find out. Spaulding hurried past a group of people and into the open space of the room, trying to keep an eye on the redhead bobbing under the brimmed hat. Each step he took, it got closer to the woman. Ten heads away, his palms were sweaty, warming up his cool drink. Five heads away, he swallowed a thick lump of saliva. Three heads away, exhale, two heads away. That was her, face to face, Irene. The woman lifted her head light brightening her green eyes. Spalding stared at those plump lips, the soft complexion. She was everything he remembered her being. Spalding wanted to say something. He'd been so quick with wit talking to Rochelle, yet found himself dumbfounded in front of this beautiful mobster. Damn girl. Long time no see, Irene said, taking a step closer to Spalding. This was trouble. Still beating up kids at Fight Club? I... no, I... I... Spalding cleared his throat. Oh, <clears throat> what are you doing here? He asked. He was defensive. Seeing Irene rattled up a whole array of buried emotions he'd never reflected on. He had no choice now. He'd always known they existed. They floated around in his head on occasion. Irene shrugged. I thought I'd pay this dump of a town a visit. It'd been a while. But the white hand... Everything, the resurrectionist business, Spalding rambled. Yeah, that all happened, Irene said. You were there. You know it better than anyone. Yes, he said. So you just happened to be in the neighborhood. Spalding didn't buy it. He took a big guzzle of his drink. Now more than ever, he needed that liquid courage. Maybe it could talk some sense into whatever fucked up emotions he was experiencing. Well, Irene started. I haven't been here since Niles and I were recruiting. That's quite some time ago, hey? She smiled at him, amplifying the dimple on her cheek. Fire. Spalding inhaled, catching a whiff of her scent. Yeah, a lot has changed since then. Oh? Irene asked. You still the ladies' man that I remember you being? Charming? Commanding? Irene took a step closer. Their boots touched. 
and a pretty fun ride in the bedroom if I recall. This was punishment. It had to be. Spaulding's dark past was now torturing him in a cruel test. His heart raced. Her eyes were like daggers piercing into his soul. Everything he wanted to experience resurfaced by having this woman so close to him. The spark. The vital element lacking in his life. Yeah, if I recall, you stood me up hard. That was a cold thing to do, Spaulding said while finishing the last dregs of his drink. Good one, Spaulding thought, remaining strong. If I recall, too, you did a number on my nose. It never did heal the same. Looks cute on you, Spaulding blurted before he could think. What are you doing? Irene stared at the ground, still smiling. She let out a sigh, placing her hand on his chest. Spaulding didn't move. Glad you still feel that way. I suppose some things never change, he admitted. Irene slid her hand down Spaulding's chest as she brought it back to her side. That subtle movement was a small taste of what he remembered she had to offer. She was everything that his memory held on to. Sure, a little older now, but he was too. A decade and a half was a long time. Yet, there is still that desirable chemistry. That courtship dance between the two of them. Spaulding, Irene said, leaning up to his ear. How about you come back to my inn and see if things really have changed? Spaulding inhaled another whiff of her scent. She was so close to him. Her breasts pressed against his chest. Her voice sent a tingle through him that ran from his ear all the way down his body. She lit a match. He burst into flames, lustful. She was what he wanted. Intimacy was here. Irene slowly leaned down from his ear, smoothly bringing her lips to his neck, kissing it. That was that. That one gentle peck on the neck pulsated throughout his body. She knew it. She had him wrapped around her finger. Let me get my things, Spaulding said. Irene had won. What am I doing? Spaulding thought while walking to the bar to gather his hat and coat. He knew it wasn't right, yet the knowledge was deflected by the intensity of what he had just experienced. Irene, the spark, it dominated everything else. He slammed his empty pint glass onto the bar and grabbed his belongings, which were tucked around the corner. He put on his top hat and coat. Looking at the bar, he saw Jacob staring at him. Jacob scratched his head. He had to have seen what Irene was doing to him. Shame. Jacob knew exactly who Irene was. He knew the white hand. The man wasn't stupid. He also wasn't the type of man who would go telling anyone. His look was enough to convince Spaulding of his disapproval. This was a mistake. He didn't have to do this. Sure, there were problems with Penny at home. That was part of marriage, right? This was just his desire for connection talking. Maybe the liquor too. He was better than this. What about Rochelle? Had she seen what had transpired? An arm slid down Spaulding's back and onto his hand. The other hand pressed against his chest. The delicate touch of a woman. Shall we? She asked. Deja vu. It was just like the first time they connected. She had him. He wanted her to. And that is the end of episode 8 for the episodic audiobook series of Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. Definitely come back for episode 9 because man oh man, things are looking intense. Spaulding's about to make a big mistake. 
and the girls are learning about independence, which is incredibly powerful for them because they have three good guides. Maybe those midwives will teach them a few more things. And we gotta find out what the hell happens to Spaulding and Irene. He, uh, yeah, that's not gonna go good back on the home life. So, definitely come back, check in for episode nine. Share this around if you enjoyed it. And if you just can't wait and gotta find out what happens, you can always grab the book of Fire, Pain, and Ruin on Amazon. And if you want, definitely check out my Patreon. There are the monthly short stories, and I am sharing my brand new book that's coming out in May. So until next time, take care. Ciao.